Hey, Connor. Hey, Dylan. I am ready to tell you all about the awesome online platform called Broadway Plus. We love. You've obviously heard of it. They're the leading industry experts at connecting you with your favorite Broadway stars through amazing virtual experiences like meet and greets, concerts, and coaching. Can I say more? You can say, I'll, I'll, I'll take over from here. Right. Because there's lots of fun to share. You remember Taylor Latterman? Of course. Jordan Luke Gage? Duh. The Cara Lindsay? Are you kidding? And more. Okay, and more, right? The and more are drama alums and your favorite Broadway stars and West End stars who are hosting weekly workshops and Q&As for Broadway Plus. And these experiences start at only $15. That's approximately what I spend at Starbucks um, every day. Right. What am so, I getting there? We'll talk about it later. Okay. But listen, everyone can check out these upcoming workshops and events at broadwayplus.com backslash workshops. And of course, in the episode notes below. We can't wait to see you there. Drama. Drama. Press play. Curtain of an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, Ooh drama. drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got on the option? No, oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. 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 Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life in New York, New York City, City and, and the, world. the world. I'm Connor McDowell. And I'm Dylan McDowell. Connor, it's a big freaking day. For many reasons. The big one we'll obviously get to soon because that's why people are listening. Yes. But for the first time in what feels like a year there's actual broadway news there's yes. a show that has tickets on sale yes and a date that it's going to return can you believe december and i have three words to say to you okay megan markle's impact <laughs> that is because diana a new broadway musical has yes. announced it's it's going to be opening on broadway in december and tickets are on sale if only they could have had tickets on sale the morning after the Oprah interview. Oh my God. That would have been a gag. I know. That was that was a while ago, though. Yeah, it's insane. It's exciting. And they also announced that they're going to be doing their, or releasing their Netflix, like, pro shoot. Right, which is interesting. Okay, so this is a brand new musical. No one's ever right. seen it before. Do you think that people watching it on Netflix two months before will inspire them to want to go see it in person. I mean, I know the producers think that's that's the trick. I do, because remember when Legally Blonde was on MTV when we were in seventh grade or eighth grade? <laughs> and we we were like, well, we, now we have to go see it live. That is true. Remember the girls from the Hills were like, you loved it here, now you've got to see it live. I we do were like that. Lauren Conrad. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, there's a, back when Phantom of the Opera was coming out with its movie, the Broadway show was thought to be on its last legs. And so that's why they finally let the movie happen. And what actually then was this, this reverse effect where the movie inspired massive ticket sales. So Interesting. I think that it could be, it could be that, I mean, you know, we have fans on, we're, we're part of fandoms and whatnot that will watch bootlegs online and it's sort of become less taboo to talk about it in the pandemic but without the presence of live theater mm -hmm. that bootlegs only make you want to see it live like you'll say oh have you seen bridges of madison county well no but i saw it on youtube but i, I just really want to see it live you know like that okay. would be like the, the thought process you're making a great point i feel like yeah you're right also though i have to say the ticket prices are the same as they were pre-pandemic Oh, All I didn't realize. All this talk about, you know, people were hoping there would be more accessibility. I mean, it's expensive. The tickets are expensive. Mm. I, don't, I don't know. We'll see. I don't like that. 
well, maybe, maybe they'll adjust as it goes on. You know, shows will sometimes secretly lower the prices without any warning. Very true. And also, if you have a Netflix subscription, you can watch it for, well, Netflix's price is bumped too. It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's a whole thing. But anyway, I'm so excited. Literal Broadway news on a podcast. I know. A lot about theater. And now we have to bring in our guests because I don't want to waste a second of their time. No, no. Connor, can you believe this is happening? I can't. Let's do it, Dylan. Okay. Our guest today became a household name in 2002 as he was the runner-up in the premiere season of American Idol. What came next has been nearly two decades of being a singer, musician, actor, host, and record producer. You know him as the host of Idol Rap and Idol Tonight, along with live events for the TV Guide Network, the Oscars, the Emmys, and the Grammys. He continues to reprise his role as the lovable Lil Sweet in commercials for Diet Dr. Pepper. Our guest starred in the cult classic from Justin to Kelly, as well as appeared on Broadway in productions of American Idiot, Romeo and Juliet, Wicked as Fierro, and Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, and of course, In Transit. His performance credits, contributions to the stage, and music industry are too vast to list. He is a humanitarian and founded the Warrior Artist Alliance, and most recently, the Core Confidence Challenge. He is the author of Audition Secrets and Unshakable Confidence, CEO of Profit Under Pressure, is a husband, a father, and an American Idol now and forever. Please welcome to drama, Justin, Justin Guarini. <laughs> that was the greatest introduction ever. Do we need to have an interview now? That, I mean, that's pretty much it. That's all the juice. We need to talk about from Justin to Kelly. We oh, don't go sure. anywhere. Do not go anywhere, Justin. <laughs> Done. I'm so happy that you're on our podcast today. I'm so excited to be here. You guys, that was a wonderful introduction and we have so much drama to talk about. I can't wait. Oh my God. I can't believe you just did that. That is our favorite thing <laughs> when guests say drama after we have. That Thank you, Justin. It's a gag. Pleasure. We can wrap up now. We can. <laughs> Good. Thank you. It was, it was a pleasure being here. Thanks, oh my everybody. God. Justin, are you well? I am well, actually. I feel uh, slightly mentally unwell. And well at the same time, you know, as uh, and and I really love being transparent about kind of what mm -hmm. the struggles that I, I am faced with in life, because, you know, obviously, globally, we have a huge struggle going on uh, recovering from uh, in the process of recovering from the pandemic. And and I, I was forced, as many of us were, to make a pivot. Right. Uh, I happen to make very good money, but I also happen to spend very good money. And so and I'm also transparent about that. And so when Broadway got shut down, um, pretty much all my other entertainment things got shut down as well. It just happened, whether it was Broadway or television, the commercial work that I was doing. And so I was faced with a choice. Either I'm just going to uh, twiddle my thumbs or I'm going to pivot and find out how what I do can serve a different audience or can serve the audience I already serve in a different way. And so that has been the the blessing and the curse of this past <laughs> I don't know, 12 to, to 14 months. Yeah. Um, and really just figuring out, okay, how can I maintain my sanity while um, being a father of three uh, children, three dogs, <laughs> 
and not traveling like I love to travel and not having the things that I love to do um, and yet at the same time generate revenue that will help support my family right. and also support my desire to um, be an artist and express myself. Wow. That's incredible. And of course, you're talking about your new book that's coming out. Yeah, yeah. No, so uh, I actually started writing this book last month. So it took about a year to figure out kind of where exactly I was going and what I wanted to do. But the book is called Unshakable Confidence. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Why would you write a book called Unshakable Confidence? And what it boils down to is basically over the years when people have asked me uh, whether they were artists or entrepreneurs or influencers, asked me for advice, right? I just kind of kept a little running catalog in my head. And of all the questions, the foundation of all of them, the story behind the story, as we like to say, the subtext, right, in our mm-hmm. business is, you know, confidence. It was always I don't feel like I'm not good enough or am I enough or all these disempowering thoughts and questions. And really what it came down to was confidence. And so I started studying what confidence is, what makes it, what breaks it, um, and, and how to break it and how to build it. And what I discovered really is confidence is something that most people think that you're born with, that you either have it or you don't have it, or you have to have some sort of set of circumstances like a certain amount of money or awards or experience even to generate and have confidence. But really at the end of the day, it's a skill. Just like riding a bike, just like singing a musical number, just like you know learning lines five minutes before you have to go into the audition room, right? It's a skill. And At the end of the day, confidence is, if we break it down, the the root word of confidence is to confide. And what does confide mean? It means to trust, right? That's why you tell your secrets to a confidant, right? Someone you confide in. So what I love to tell my students is that and if they if you listening hear nothing else from what I say in this podcast, please hear this. When you understand that everyone in the world sees you not through their eyes, but through your eyes, you will understand that when you don't have confidence, AKA trust in yourself, you'll understand that when you don't have that confidence, you're literally telling everyone you meet that they can't trust you. Mm. I'm gonna say that again. When you understand that Everyone you meet sees you through your eyes, not their eyes. You'll understand that when you don't have confidence, you are literally telling everyone you meet that they can't trust you. And that then extends into, right, the audition room. That extends into what you're doing on the stage. That extends into, I don't know, if you're just trying to find a job and and you're doing an interview and a job. That extends into your relationships, right? If you don't trust yourself, you're literally telling a person you're trying to have an intimate relationship with, you can't trust me. You make bad food decisions. You make bad fitness decisions because you don't trust yourself. You make bad money decisions because you don't trust yourself with the money. And when you do get it and you hear about the right thing to do with your money, you don't trust that that right thing is even going to work. And so that's why confidence is so important to me because it's such a root foundational element of, especially in the circumstance that we're talking about in drama and theater and self-expression and artistry that is so vital to success and everything that you want in my opinion, my humble opinion, everything that you want is standing just on the other side of your willingness to truly become confident, AKA trust in yourself. 
Wow, Justin, that's so incredible. I feel like I'm at a TED Talk. Also, you know, I've always wondered sort of the difference between confidence and cockiness. And I think yeah. you really just outlined the difference there just by yeah. defining confidence in such a strong way. Sure. Um, you know, and I, I'm just curious, where do, where did you learn this? Like, where, where was your confidence learned from? You know what? It, it Part of it is trial and error, like you learn anything, right? And the other part was actually studying it, right? Competence, the knowing of a thing. And so my confidence came from being skyrocketed onto a show in front of 30 million people on live television week in and week out. Uh, and, and really truly believing as only a 22 year old inexperienced person can believe that when you do good work, they, those people upon high will take care of you. Right. Not the way it works in most businesses, certainly mm -hmm. not in our business, the entertainment business. And so, um, I had to be given so, so much and then have it snatched away and also myself burn it to the ground to really truly understand what trusting myself meant, AKA confidence meant. And so I spent a lot of time being not confident. I spent a lot of time loathing myself. I spent a lot of time treating myself in a way um, that was unkind uh, and then reaping the results of that in terms of depression, in terms of crappy relationships, in terms of just horrible spending habits in order to try and you know make it seem like everything was okay. You know, I was a, I was a millionaire at age 22 right and i can't even tell you how quickly i went through that because i didn't trust myself mm. and um you know i'm i'm happy now i'm i'm paid well to do what did i do, i do now um and, and I, it really just came down to learning how to trust myself and trial and error. And then you go to the other side of it, where it's really, you just study it. You study a thing and I look and I see, you, you said confidence and versus cockiness, right? Well, confidence again is that trusting in yourself. It's that quiet belief in your own self-worth. Cockiness or bravado, if you don't like that word, on the other hand, is that action or those words that intend to impress or intimidate someone, right? So confidence is this quiet, attractive energy. The reason why you can be on your the phone or Zoom with your best friend and look up and all of a sudden it's two hours have gone by is because there's two confident people who believe in their own self-worth, who don't need to prove anything and who are enjoying the exchange of energy between the two of them. Whereas if you get on the phone or you watch somebody on TV in the media or wherever it is who's cocky, who's trying to impress you or intimidate them, you it is a repellent, repellent mm -hmm. energy, right? You want to get away from that person. You don't want to be on the phone with that that person. You don't want to zoom with that person. <laughs> and, and so that's the, a major difference, right? And, but oh, yeah. so much we see people in the media, you know, we see people in uh, our, our entertainment sphere who are very cocky, who impress and who intimidate. And unfortunately, so many people confuse that with cockiness and try and role model or behave the same way as those cocky people they see. And what they don't realize is that they are repelling the kind of people that they want in their life. Wow. Wow. This is fascinating. I'm going to buy the book. 
<laughs> Cheers, it's coming out. Yeah, if you want to get the book, all you have to do is go to coreconfidencecoaching.com and I am giving the ebook away for free. So get it while you can get it. Yeah, you just coreconfidencecoaching.com. I'm giving the ebook away for free because it's that important to me. And there's other offers I'll make down the yeah. line, right? But it's important for me to to make sure that I get this information into people's hands because it's so important. That's awesome. Oh my God. That's amazing. And I think it's going to be an invaluable resource to so many people, especially, you know, you have so many fans of, you know, you've been around for different phases of your career. You know, you had Idol. I've been around. That's it. I've been around. That's a, that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, Broadway brings in different fans all the time. You were in The Machine That Is Wicked and different new musicals you were about to do Once Upon a One More Time. So, which I hope still happens. Um, I think it will because Britney is forever in everyone's thoughts and minds and hearts even now, you know? She's just as relevant now as she was 20 years ago. Even more so, maybe, well, not more so, but maybe almost just as much because of the documentary yeah. and everything. Mm-hmm. We're really getting a, that, they're getting the 2000 feels of, ooh, paparazzi and a peek into the life and mm-hmm. the drama and the challenges of Britney Spears. Um, and I will say this about the, the musical, um, Diana, as you said, is coming back, yes. hopefully in December, right? Fingers yeah. crossed. And I do believe that, you know, once we get into the first quarter, at least of next year, we're going to see a lot more opening up in terms of the Broadway space. And, and I hope that Once Upon a One More Time has its triumphant return oh, yeah. uh, because it is an amazing musical that has obviously amazing music by Britney, but it has an original story that has nothing to do with Britney's life, uh, but yet is extremely inspiring and is based on um, many of the fairy tale characters that we know and love. And so fingers crossed. It uh, is. I can't even begin to tell you how awesome this show is and I cannot wait for you to see it. And the cast is amazing. I mean, it's um, Emily Skinner, it's Friends of the Pod, Ali Trim and Aisha Jackson, like great people. Yes. I'm forgetting. Great, too, great but, people. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't wait. Did you ever meet Brittany? Yes. Yes. A couple of times actually. And she's extremely lovely. I was down, uh, you know, speaking of from Justin and Kelly, I was shooting down there and um, she was in town. She might've been on tour or something like that. And what's really interesting is if you go back and you look um, at the cast of From Justin to Kelly, many of the dancers were at the time like the kids who went out with all Janet, went out with Brittany, went out with Christina Aguilera. Like they were the huh crew, right? And so um, Brittany was down there doing something in Miami and um, I was doing an interview and we were in the same hotel and I'll never forget um, my management rep went over and somehow like knocked on the door uh, of Britney's room or some got in touch with somebody and uh, she was like hey Justin would love to say hi to Britney and the, 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 her manager or rep was like Justin who? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I like Justin who? Because <laughs> I think there was still a little bit of drama going oh, on there yeah. and uh, she was like oh, Justin Guardian. he's like oh okay yeah yeah sure come on in and so uh, yeah when we met she's absolutely lovely she is as beautiful and kind and everything you would ever hope um, she would be in person. I love that. That's incredible. Now, t- does she have anything to do with Once Upon a One More Time? I know she saw a reading of it, I want to say. 
Yeah, she did come to one of the the stage readings that we had. I mean, it's her music and it's her catalog, and so whatever the legalese around that, she does have something to do with it. Okay. She is uh, involved, not directly, like she's not showing up, but she certainly is involved and certainly aware of the the production has come to see it, and uh, was really, really just she loved it when she did come to see it. But it's oh just crazy. Gosh. Like Britney Spears is still Britney Spears, right? Like we all were up on the stage and we were ready and like the building got shut down right like you can't nobody in and out and Britney comes in and it's just like everyone's seated and everyone in the audience is aware that there's a special guest here but the lights go down and then Britney comes in and then all that and then before the lights go up Britney gets up and goes out and then everybody so it's a uh, you know she's very well and deservedly so protected yeah yeah Oh my goodness. I, I'm sure you've had so many incredible celebrity encounters over the years. I mean, just being on Idol in general, but you, you mentioned from Justin to Kelly and I, yeah. I'm going to take that moment now to talk about it. Justin, I know that it has this crazy legacy, but to so many, it is one of the greatest movie musicals of all time. <laughs> how many? Wait, how to so many? Listen, so many listen, my I'm, fanny. I'm suddenly forgetting, but let me tell you. <laughs> It, is, it was so iconic, and we, of course, wore that VHS out. We would get home from school and immediately put it on and do Wish Upon a Star and Anytime, every number around our very living room that I'm in now. Anytime is legendary. <laughs> There's a legendary story behind that, too. You want to talk about some yes. drama? <laughs> so, okay, listen. So this was the the you and Kelly Clarkson. You know, we're, we're using her first name. She's a first name now. Oh, yeah. And this was part of your contract that you had to do the movie. Is that how this all came to be? Yes. Okay. Um, and and actually, it actually popped up in the media recently. I'll get Google alerts. Um, and obviously, Kelly has voiced her negative opinion of the mm-hmm. movie. Um, and that's great. I, I support that. I don't think she ever wanted to do it in the first place um, because it's just not where she came from, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas me, I was like, do a movie musical? Right. Yes, of course. Where do I sign? And so, <laughs> like, I was into it. And, um, and so, you know, the movie itself... Um, was a dream come true for me. It was unfortunately um, not well received. I think when you have success like you have on American Idol, where you come and you are the number one show on television in the nation, you are kicking the living crap out of pretty much anything else that's on the television. Um, they're going to come for you, right? And uh, I will not say I was the best actor at the time <laughs> neither was kelly but we were supported by some pretty great actors who have gone on and ikanoni rose Nikononi obviously rose, being yeah. one of them and brian dietzen like there's some great folks right uh and and yet um it was truly an experience i loved it and i'm proud of it and it's stories like the two of you have that people have come up to me and be like hey this was so much fun and the reason why it, it touches me is because i know that as a kid when i was in like fourth or fifth grade i you know they they wheeled in the av cart one day after school with the tv strapped to the thing oh, and like yeah. literally popped in this vhs for kids kids that was a tape a huge tape that you put into a box <laughs> and it played videos um and they put on what is now and forever will be my favorite musical west side story mm-hmm. i had never seen it before and it was just like but like I was blown away like it was it from that moment on I was like that's what I want to do um and so um 
you know, you want to talk about, I'm, I'm going to jump you here. I'm going to talk about it. it. I'm just going to go right for Th- this it. This has been the most seamless transition to the Ring of Keys moment yeah. in the history of drama. But would you say that was your moment? That was my Ring of Keys moment for, for theater, for sure. You know, I was little Allison, right? I think Allison is the character. <laughs> That's right. I was, I, was, I was like, I was, and, and by the way, uh, I was one of the people who got to see that original production and it mm. was everything you could ever possibly hope for. I loved it. And the Ring of Keys moment to watch that sweet young lady delivered that song in a way that was so undeniable. It's just like, you know, I didn't need my faith restored, but if I'd needed my faith restored in our business and, and the power it has, especially for, for our, our young folks, then that moment was it. And it is that moment, my Ring of Keys moment, when I saw the beautiful Jerome Robbins choreography and everything that um, uh, Bernstein and... Um, Sondheim did and just oh man it was everything I didn't I I never knew I wanted and I literally remember walking out of the school because there was a a program called the latchkey kid program (laughs) back when uh back when i was a child they let children uh stay home at any age and uh if you look if you if you remember et i was love et right that movie like drew barrymore was like two and a half and they're like okay honey we're gonna run out to the store you just do something like two and a half year old drew barrymore was like okay yeah sure she's probably like three but like still (laughs) like you're like oh my god and so there was a time when children were just allowed to come home and instead of sitting on the couch there was this after school program and that was where they wheeled in this movie musical and I will never forget after watching the whole thing and just being so taken by the story which I would later come to understand was Romeo and Juliet I walked out of the school and there was this long pavement um, sort of driveway that then led to the places where the cars pulled up and got you and the entire way I was doing probably the worst impersonation of the Jerome Robbins choreography and fly and like, and you know, dancing like a jet and dancing like Mm -hmm. a shark. And it probably looked so terrible. But as I think back on it now, the visual in my mind and the feeling that I get is I felt like I could fly. I felt like I could fly. I felt like I was just transported to another world. And that was truly my ring of keys moment. And that funny enough, when I let that voice that tells me I'm not good enough, that voice that's like, oh my goodness, this audience is, when I let all that go on stage, I still feel that feeling that I felt in my Ring of Keys moment whenever I perform. Ah, chills. That's incredible. I love that so much. So much. Uh And and then of course, from Justin to Kelly was probably someone else's Ring of Keys moment. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe it. I can't believe it. But that's the thing. That's the power of what it is that we do. I mean, it's it's insane. Like you don't know. And whenever I'm like, because look, you guys know, it's a, this job, whether we're uh, in film or television or theater, it's a job like any other job. Some days you show up and it has not been a fun day for you in your life. And you're just like, oh, I have to say the same lines over and over again that I've, if I'm lucky to have been able to say them for hundreds of times. But like, you know what I mean? Like I have to say it over again, like I'm a little tired today. And every time I feel that, I think of exactly what you're talking about, that ring of keys moment. I think, oh my goodness, you idiot. A, I, if I'm on Broadway, I'm at, I'm at the pinnacle of world theater, you idiot. Like, hello. And then there is someone out in that audience who is seeing their first Broadway show today. 
and there's someone out in that audience who maybe based on what I do or maybe based on the energy that I bring that allows someone else on the stage to like, you know, all boats rise together, right? Like they're going to look and they're going to be like, I want to do that. Yes. And how dare I not go out and give 110% because I would be denying the legacy of what it is that we do if I did that. I would be denying someone the possibility to say, yes, I want to do that. And maybe it's not be up on the stage, but maybe it's write something. Maybe it's play piano so that they can write music like that. Maybe it's just like, I want to stage manage. I want to do something. I want to be involved, right? And it's one more brick in the beautiful pathway, <laughs> the yellow brick road, <laughs> the beautiful pathway that, you know, it keeps theater, which has been a dying art for 4,000 years, right? Like it keeps theater going. And so that is why those ring of keys moments are so important. And, and that's why, even though I joke around, uh, I would be so proud if from Justin and Kelly was that something for someone, because that's the legacy that I, that I hope that we all leave behind every single time that we step on the stage. That's very beautifully put. Now, what's the drama behind any time? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this. Um, uh, there was some friction uh, happening. There's a wonderful um, producer named Anders Bega, who is like one of the Swedish kings of like, you know, y- you have um, Max Martin, who speaking of Britney Spears, mm-hmm. like was so instrumental in all of those 2000s hits. And still, I mean, like Adele, like these Max Martin is Max Martin. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and forever will be. Anders Bega is like uh, a contemporary of, of Max's in Sweden. And so he wrote this song and produced this song called Anytime. And so I remember that when we were in the studio, uh, it was Kelly's turn to record first. And so I went up and the studio was like a super fly studio, had like almost a little apartment above it. And I was in there and there was television and there's like a bed and there's like all these things. And so an hour goes by, two hours go by and I'm like, all right, cool. Great. You know, then three hours goes by and I'm like, what is going on? Like, we're just, are we? Is something wrong? I haven't heard anything from anyone. Four hours goes by. I'm like, right. five hours go. And I'm like, okay, is there something wrong? And then all of a sudden somebody comes up and they come and they get me. And um, I go down and I do my recording with Anders. And we're talking and I'm just like, it didn't, it didn't occur to me to ask like what had happened. And so it wasn't until years later that I found out that because there was some friction going on, um, Anders had gotten in his limousine, his car, and was headed, the producer was headed to the airport to go back to Sweden. (laughs) <laughs> because what? he was like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not, he's gone. He's gone. <laughs> and so anytime almost wasn't produced because of some friction during the process. And um, and so he was literally on the in the car on the way to the airport, was convinced to come back and, and then came back and did the, <laughs> the session with me. And, you know, to his credit, 
He was very cool. I, I didn't know anything about this. I've since have gone to, oh, and you know what? Maybe that's, he told me that. So about six years ago, I went over to Sweden to work and record with him on, on an album that I did. And uh, he recounted that story to me. And I was like, are you kidding me? I had no idea. Almost like, right. Like 15 years later, I find out that um, Anytime almost didn't get made. And yet it's one of the greatest songs in From Justin Account. Oh, the yeah. emotional centerpiece of the film. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Um, you know what's really funny about that? Kelly was super smart. If you go back and look at the movie, um, speaking of any time, uh, she was super smart because she went into the ADR sessions and whatever afterwards. And she was like, hey, play that music. And the director kind of wanted it to not seem like we were just the flipping on a track and singing because it was so obvious to tell the audio difference between just, you know, wild audio or whatever, lobbed audio and the the highly produced polished music and so what he was like like i just want you to start singing it in real life and then we'll go into the music and so if you look kelly was like hell no you're gonna flip it on or else i'm not doing it and so every single time kelly starts singing it will go directly into the track but every single time i start singing you'll hear like the realness right of it all and then going to the track and just it's just like it burns me every single time i was like why wasn't i smart enough to do that and then the last thing i will say about the movie is that there's this funny little thing at the end of any time the boat is like uh going off into the sunset right and this we're we're going down whatever canal in miami and uh if you look right before we get to that sunset moment I put my hand down super quick and I close a door in the boat. And what happened was, is we were driving away and all of a sudden I looked down and there's like, you know, the little storage, a glove box for the boat. Inside was like a nasty old bag of Doritos and like, and I didn't know what the shot was, right? I didn't know what the frame was. So I quickly reached down and I just closed it and we're just driving away. And I'm like, I hope nobody sees the nasty <laughs> Doritos. And it made the cut, it made the cut in there. So, oh my God. Uh, little fun Easter eggs. Oh, that's I need so to go fun. back and rewatch. That is, thank you for indulging us with, yes, of with course. some stories in that movie. Now, yeah. I, I remember reading at the time of your idol audition that you also were offered the opportunity to go into the Lion King on Broadway. So there was definitely like theater in your roots. I mean, obviously West Side Story, but did Broadway ever come knocking any time after Idol? Because there was a trend of American Idol contestants going into Broadway. Clay Aiken did Spam a lot. Tamira yes. Gray went into Rent. So, because yes. American Idiot, was that what your Broadway debut? Mm-mm. No, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. So what happened was, is I went to school, I went to University of the Arts for musical theater and for vocal performance. So musical theater has been in my blood for forever. A lot of people think, oh, he showed up on a reality TV show and then all of a sudden, right? But, and that's fine. But the truth is, is that I started out as a musical theater kid. I also started out as a kid who was like, I'm going to sing. Mm -hmm. And uh, however that happens is however that happens. And it wasn't until that ring of keys moment in like fourth or fifth grade that I understood, oh, I can sing, dance and act. (laughs) And it just completely opened my mind up to everything that we know and love in in our industry. And so I found myself at a fork in the road moment in 2002, because for years I had been auditioning for The Lion King, and it was still fresh at that point. We're talking about, you know, what, 2000, 99, 2000. And so, I had been auditioning for it in um, school. I've been went up and done master classes. I was like literally 
at the point where they just had to say yes or no. And I think it was a little bit young and they were like, we just don't, we want you to be in the Broadway show. We just don't have the opening for you right now, but please wait, please wait, please wait. Years go by, right? And so we get to 2002 and I auditioned for this show nobody's ever heard of called American Idol. And they give me this yellow piece of paper and tell me I'm going to California. I'm like, uh, okay. And right. And they tell me it's a golden ticket, but it's, this is the yellow piece of paper. Right? And so, um, so I'm in the car waiting to um, uh, go to my job, which at the time was working for a DJ company, uh, a bar and bat mitzvah company. I was a dancer, party pumper. So if you've ever been to a bar and bat mitzvah and like the guys are like, come on, everybody, let's go. And all that. Like, like I was that guy. And I loved it. It's one of the greatest jobs I've ever had. Um, and FYI, 13-year-olds are probably some of the most difficult audience I've ever had to be in front of. And yet it was the perfect time because I learned how to deal with 13-year-old children, especially moneyed 13-year-old children, right before I had to go with th- deal with 30 million viewers uh, on live television. So it all worked out really well. I was in the car. And I'm sitting there and I realize I've go- I'm going to go to California for the first time in my life um, in about a week. And then wouldn't you know it, you know, that joke that we have, like, oh, Broadway calling, uh-huh. like literally Broadway called. And they were like, hey, uh, this is Jay Bender's office. We finally have this role for you. We know you've been waiting. This is going to be your Broadway debut as a chorus member of the Broadway company of Lion King. And I was like, amazing. But there's this other project. I have to go out to California in a a week. I I might get cut. Can I call you back? And the only thing that made me not say yes was the fact that I just got up in front of Paul Abdul on TV and like, you know, forever my girl. And like, I was like, there's something here. I've got to at least pursue it. And so they said, yes, call us back in a week. And so fast forward a week later, my time is up. I've got to call Broadway and tell them yes or no. They are offering me a job. I don't have an agent. I have They literally called me up and said, do you want to be on Broadway, kid? And uh, I'm walking down the aisle at the Pasadena Civic Center in Pasadena, California. And I look up at the stage and I see the lights and the smoke and the cameras, the big jib and the big desk where uh, Simon Paula and Randy sat and so many of my contemporaries in the audience. And there's just something in the air. I don't know what it is, but I start bawling. And I was just like, you know, since I've had kids, right, like I've become a lot more soft hearted and and my wife and like all the things, right, getting older. But at 22 years of age, I was not a crier. And so here I am like, oh, I'm gonna, like trying to hide like my tears. from I'm like, don't, don't, don't look at me. I don't know what's going on. What's wrong with me? And I recognize in the moment that up on that stage where I was been performing is the same stage that at the 50th anniversary of Motown, Michael Jackson performed for the first time the moonwalk in front of the world. And I was singing on that same stage. Stevie Wonder, so many of the amazing people who influenced me. I mean, not to mention all the theatrical stuff that probably happened there as well. I was like, I, there's some, this is something is it. And there was a voice that said to me, just go with this. This is right. And it was that again. I mean, you don't want to talk about another ring of keys moment, yeah. right? It was one more key on the ring where I was just like, okay. And I listened and I yielded. And I called up Jay Bender's office and I said, thank you so very much. This has been a dream for me to do this. But I think I'm going to go for uh, another, uh, this other project. Thank you. But please keep me in mind for the future. <laughs> the phone hung up. I think the phone hung up before I got to the end of the word future. And so, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. And so that was it. And then the rest is kind of history. But 
a beautiful bow on this story is 10 years later, you want to talk about Broadway calling. Yeah. 10 years later, I would be cast in my very first musical Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown with an all-star theatrical cast. And come on. And we would hold our opening night party in the very same hotel, in the very same conference room, the Millennium Hotel uh, in uh, Times Square, where I sat and waited to audition for American Idol for my very first time. Oh, again. Yeah. Yeah, it was full. It was total full circle. I was like, wait a minute. This looks really full. Oh, my gosh. I sat in here waiting to for my first audition for American Idol. That was the holding room for us. And yet here I am having my opening night party for my first Broadway show. So it, it oh, was a full amazing. circle moment. And I've had so many cool moments like that in my career. And I just... It's it's part of what, the reason why I do it. Oh, my God. I live for stories like that, Justin. That is so cool. What was your Broadway debut like? Did you Was that a good experience? I loved it. You know, it was a good experience. It was also a heartbreaking experience because it was a really great show that was put in front of the wrong audience. You had the, the Lincoln Center Theater audience, which tends to be older. And then you had this really super avant-garde show, um, Pedro Almodovar. It's like, if you watch the movie Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, you have no idea what's going on in the first 20 minutes. And especially now, you know, with an audience in general, I mean, don't even start about now, but even then, with an audience, especially an older audience, if you don't let them know what's going on in the first 20 minutes, they get confused, they hate it. Um, and it doesn't matter, obviously, who you throw at it in terms mm -hmm. of personnel, because we had the who's who of Broadway. Oh, my God. Uh, and it still did not do well. So that part of it was heartbreaking. Um, but to, to be cast in an all-star cast like that for my first show was an unbelievable honor. Um, Patti Lapone gets to play my mom and Brian Stokes Mitchell gets to play my dad and Laura Benanti gets to play my love interest and I get to watch Sherry Renee Scott work her, her fanny off and, and like, and just so many unbelievable, Danny Burstein, like, oh my God, like so many people that are now, uh, have been for a while, but are, are certainly now just at the top of their game and, yeah, and so that was awesome. And I learned proper theater etiquette from a lot of old school people. That was such a wonderful way to come in. And Patty took me under her wing and she just said, uh, she liked me, thank God. Thank God. Right, <laughs> because you don't want to be on the wrong side of that fence. Um, and so she was unbelievable as a mentor to me, uh, as was uh, Stokes. And they just taught me the proper etiquette of old school theater in terms of how to ask for things from other actors, how to really take care of your crew and your stage management and how to really be a, a company leader. Um, and I've taken those um, lessons and, and, and brought them to bear in all the other shows I've done. Oh my God. Well, and you know, that's, it's one of the David Yazbek scores as well, right? So. Yazbek, Jeffrey Lane. Oh my gosh. I mean, so amazing. I'm glad Yazbek finally has his flowers because it was like a string of just underappreciated. It's genius. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's like a lot of geniuses work, right? You, they'll, they'll do all this stuff and then they'll either die, which fortunately David did not do, uh, or they will have a hit and then everybody's like, well, what else did they do? And they're like, oh, and then they uncover the catalog of genius stuff. Right. And that is exactly, um, the, I, I hope is what's happening for David because his catalog is stellar. I'm hearing whispers of a uh, full Monty revival and, I think we should have Justin in that show. <laughs> Call me David. <laughs> <laughs> so then you were Fiero and Wicked too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my yeah. God. 
no, I've just been, it's been so interesting. I went from that to uh, American Idiot. So I'm sorry, that being women on the verge of a nervous breakdown to American Idiot. And that was going from the old school Tony Award winners like Who's Who cast into this young new school, like oh, yeah. up and coming amazing folks. And I got to work with um, Billy Joe because he came in, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong, the lead singer of Green Day, because he came in to, to play um, St. Jimmy. And that was just, it was such a great experience because I then learned kind of what was up with the kids. And I mean, look, I say kids, like I was still a kid myself, but like, it was so interesting to go from that old school mentality to the new school mentality. And instead of, you know, coming on and off the stage, on and off the stage, the character I played, Will, was on the couch, on the stage. Yeah. I spent 90% of my time on the stage, on a couch, very purposefully uh, as, as a microcosm or sort of a representation of what his life was being stuck in it. And so, it was crazy. My wife was pregnant with our first child and like so many wonderful wild moments happened there. Um, and then I would go on to be Fierro and Wicked. It's like, again, I go to the machine and then I learned how the machine works, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is a machine and they plug in different personnel to different parts. And, you know, I learned how to really make sure that I honored a role that had been very well established and yet was able to insert like little pieces of me, right? Right. And sometimes I got my hand smacked for it, right? <laughs> but like I, I it, it was so many wonderful things happened from from that experience for sure. Now, I, I would be remiss to not ask you. Our friend Lacey absolutely has loved you forever. And she wanted us to ask you about your hair, yeah. which you had this like the iconic curly oh. hair for, for so long. It's still oh, here. It, is. <laughs> <laughs> it looks crazy. Don't put up a screen. I love it. Please don't put up a screen grab of me looking crazy. <laughs> no, like, no, no. Yeah, it's, it's here for sure. Go for it. Did Idol encourage you to keep your hair curly? No. No, no, that was that was solely my choice. They didn't care. They were trying yeah. to make a TV show work that they had no idea would work. And they had sponsors to appeal to. And there was a little show called 24 that they were like, please, let's make this work. Right. Yeah. So they didn't, uh -huh. they didn't care about any of that. Um, it just worked. Um, and I grew it out and there's a, a lovely lady here in Pennsylvania where I am who was like, you know what we should do? We should break up that color. And I was like, what do you mean break up that color? And so she put little highlights in it and then it just became this iconic thing. And I kept it for a long time. And then in sort of a rebellious, AKA stupid moment, I decided to cut it because I wanted to cut ties with all of that nonsense. And, and yet in my, uh, in my, uh, wiser years, uh, I've recognized that that's an undeniable brand and, you know, it harkens back to certainly a better time than, than we're living through right now. And so uh, I decided to go back. And so it's in full effect now. One last question about American Idol, and then we will start to wrap up. But what would you, when you look back on that time, mm -hmm. What is like the the moment that stands out to you of of that whole experience? I'm sure it was a whirlwind. One moment, yeah, no, the moments that really stand out to me uh, were it was really on tour, um, being with Kelly, and then being on tour. She is such a lovely human being, like. The, the one thing I'll say about Kelly, I could say a million things, but the one thing I'll say is that <laughs> when you watch her show, for example, yeah. you're not seeing the TV version of Kelly. You're seeing Kelly Clarkson. She is someone who has always maintained herself 
regardless of where she goes or what platform she's on. She shoots from the hip. She has is so authentic. It's not even funny. And um, with the exception of she says she loves to curse. Like she doesn't curse her show, <laughs> but like she curses her killer. <laughs> But beyond that, I mean, she 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 uh, classes it up for the TV itself. But um, I loved being on tour, being able to actually hear the scream of thirty thousand fans, being able to see them and connect with them in that way was amazing. And being on a bus tour and going, I love to travel, going from city to city was just outstanding. And so the moment another ring of keys moment for me because i said like theater's in my blood but also singing and performances in my blood Mm -hmm. when i was about eight years old um i was in the audience um at the atlanta fulton county stadium in georgia watching the jackson five victory tour this is in the early 80s or mid 80s and so michael jackson was not michael jackson like we know him to be now or knew him to be um but he was in the ascendancy he was he was very close to hitting that king of pop zone that he was in for so long and yet he decided to get back with his brothers and do this jackson five tour right and everyone's older and they do all the hits and everything and I was there in the audience and the costumes, the music, the lights, the thump in the chest of the bass, the audience screaming. I, for no apparent reason, to no one in particular, said, I want to do that. And I pointed at the stage. And from there, I opened a loop and spent the next 20 some odd years, maybe 18 years, working to be able to do that thing. And it wasn't until just recently I realized that, oh my goodness, when I was standing on that stage on tour in 2002, scream in front of 30,000 screaming fans, I had become that person that eight-year-old me wanted to be. And I closed mm-hmm. that loop. And hopefully, like we were talking about before, I opened that loop for someone else. Someone mm-hmm. else looked at me or any of the other nine people who came up to the stage and said, I want to do that. And right now, at this very moment, maybe they're working towards being that version of themselves. And that, again, is that means the more to me than any money, any screaming fans, any anything. And that's the legacy that will outlive me. Things I won't, I won't even know about. People I won't even know about. And they might not even remember me, but they'll remember a moment and they'll remember the way they felt. And they'll chase after that feeling until they find it. And then hopefully they'll inspire someone else to feel that way. Amazing. You know, and I have to believe that everything does affect everything in that way. That's one of the reasons we love asking this ring of keys moment question, because yeah. I've had hundreds of ring of keys moments, yeah. you know, that have, that have put me on different paths in all my different passions. So I have to believe that you did open the loop for someone else. Justin, I love how you're able to really put to words what you've learned from every single experience that you've had. It, it shows such great um, presence, you know, that you're able to stop in a moment or even like look back on it, I suppose, and just understand the way you, you know, the way life has affected you and the way you're able to move forward through it. I think it's an admirable. It's called age, honey. It's called age. <laughs> perspective and age. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Oh my God. Well, you've had so much Thank perspective. You. Oh yes. So before we wrap, we do like to end on a dose mm. of drama. Maybe something to rant about, rave about, share with the listeners, promote anything yeah. at all. Dylan, do you want to kick this off today? 
I will. There was a, a recent uh, news story that came out that George R.R. R. Martin is working on a stage adaptation of Game of Thrones. Justin, are you a Game of Thrones fan? I'm a huge Game of Thrones yeah. fan, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm hesitant about the stage production. We've seen epics go to stage before. We, the Lord of the Rings did it. It was a Toronto production, and then it was in the West End. Or The Hobbit did it. Yeah. Um, it was a huge financial flop, but it did um, regenerate interest in theater in the post 9-11 Toronto. And po- like, th- there was like a whole thing about mm. that, but... I mean, also, like, there was, like, some sort of a pandemic that happened in which it helped bring people back to the theater. Heard of it. Yeah. May have heard of it. (laughs) Anyways, I'm hesitant. And, you know, if only because we're waiting for the final book, George, and you're you're now going to (laughs) adapt this series for the stage, we can wait for that. Give us the final book. Yes. That's my drama. Give us the Um, book. Are you of the opinion, can I I just throw a little snake in the room here? Are you of the opinion that they absolutely effed up that final episode? Yeah. They really did. I am. I I usually like to just, I'm such a positive person where I'm like, you know what, I'll find the good in everything. Like even with the ending of Lost and things like that, like I just accepted it for what it was. (laughs) And with Game of Thrones, I just, I was pretty disappointed in the last couple episodes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then there was a news article that came out that said the writers had forgotten something. Oh, no. It was the bells, right? Because I remember that uh, Daenerys is on the dragon. She hears the bells and all of a sudden she goes tickety-boom and destroys the whole city. But they forgot that it was really Cersei who was who was the tickety boom over the bells because of the whole shame, shame, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like she, right. So they had, Im- they had said, Oh, Daenerys hears the bells and she loses it. But really it was a Cersei, the Cersei thing. Mm-hmm. And like, so maybe if they had gotten that right, it wouldn't have ended the way it ended and You're she would have destroyed something. the city. Like, hello folks. Like come, You're you come this far. They, I mean, talk about dropping the ball right before the finish line, which look, no judgments. I am guilty of doing the same exact thing, but y'all come on. There are too many people involved. Was I someone know. just like, um, hey, hey, but I mean, look, when you get up to that kind of level and there's that kind of pressure, I mean, I'm sure people are just like, let them do what they want to do. I yeah. know. A true shame. It really did sour the audience's memory of Game of Thrones, too, because for yeah. years there, it was the television moment yes. of the week for, you yes. know, 10 weeks or however many episodes they did. But yeah, I want yeah, maybe the stage adaptation will will remind us that it, it was so wonderful. We'll see. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? It'll come out in 10 years. So. Oh. oh, my God. Okay, so my dose of drama is, you know, I have recently been reading books. I know your jaw's on the floor. You're like, oh, my God, he's finally reading books because I really struggled with that through all of 2020. I just couldn't focus on a book. You know, I was doing nothing but sitting at home, but I couldn't focus. And my drama is that books are amazing. And I think everyone <laughs> should pick one up and read them. Read one. Seriously. It's your library card. And, you know, you should also read Unshakable Confidence. This is perfect timing. Thank you for that shameless plug there. My drama when it comes to books is a little bit like Connor's. At the very beginning of the pandemic, the people who run the book zone, (laughs) a.k.a. the library, um, (laughs) in our our county. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, my brain. The library. The people who run the library were like, look, don't worry about bringing your books back. It's totally fine. No sweat. You, you just keep them. We'll, we'll take care of this after the pan- pandemic. And then, like a month and a half ago, I get a letter in the mail telling me that I have a $160 
booked fine. Oh my and I didn't get an email. I didn't get a regular mail, a telegram, a phone call, a carrier pigeon. I didn't get anything that told smoke me signals. that it was time. Smoke nothing. I, I mean, I literally could throw, if I was a, a, a professional baseball player, I could throw a baseball and hit my library. And yet nobody told me anything. And so now the drama is is that I've been like, y'all go to hell. It's gone to collections. It has gone to collections. And so now I've got to go fight the library board to be like, listen, you guys, this is ridiculous. This $160. And I just I haven't had the time to do it. But that's that's my book drama. So I'm a little soured on book. Game of Thrones and books, I'm a little soured on right now. <laughs> <laughs> the Public Library versus Justin Guarini. It's coming soon. Ryan Murphy's going to produce it. It's going to be a whole The series. next American crime story. <laughs> That's it. That's it. And I will lose, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, Justin, you are everything we'd hoped you'd be in more. This has been so much fun. The lessons you've taught us and just the stories you've shared, we're very, very thankful. You've been a part of our lives for so long. And so it's truly a treat to meet you. For most of our lives, you've been a part yeah, of oh my God. <laughs> right. I'm not old. You're old. No, I mean, you're so young. Your next book needs to be about the secrets of keeping um, youthful. You look ageless. Cheers. Thank you so very much. Thank you very much. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. I I appreciate it. And, and, you know, uh, as much maligned as from Justin Kelly has been and the ups and downs in my career, um, it's always wonderful to be a part uh, of a wonderful podcast like this and a program that really just uplifts and thank you for your kind words and and just giving me a a place to tell my stories and shine because the more I do it the more I realize you know the more I perform it's like the same thing it's like the more you perform the more you get better at it and the more you get more connected with yourself if you're really doing it the way you're supposed to do it and the more you get connected with your stories and your message and so thank you so much for giving me a place to shine and I hope that uh, you the listener has gained something from this a bit of perspective and and the last thing that I will say is is just remember when it comes to having confidence, it really is all about learning how to trust yourself. There's so many things that have happened to us that make us feel like we can't trust ourselves. Bad decisions that have been that we have made, bad decisions that other people have made for us, circumstances that seem completely out of our control, like just happenings and events, right? But at the end of the day, when you really begin to learn how to trust yourself, you'll see that the things that happen in life don't happen to you. They happen for you. And that's good and bad. You begin to learn that, oh, this thing that is traumatic that I would have fallen apart over just last week or last year, this isn't happening to me. This is happening for me. And I trust myself that I'm going to be able to learn the lesson here. And I'm going to grow and I'm going to be bigger and I'm going to be stronger as a result of this. And that is truly one of the foundational elements of confidence. And so that is what I wish for you. I'm gagged. Can't get any better than that. I need to write all that down. That Thank you, Justin. That's, that's wow. Everyone should follow you at Justin Guarini. Wherever you find Justin, you need to check out Unshakable Confidence. Yeah. Remind everyone what the website is, where they can get the ebook. Yes, it's Core Confidence Coaching. Unshakable Confidence Coaching was, or unshakableconfidence.com was taken. So I do Core Confidence coaching.com and of course everyone should be following us if you're not already at the drama podcast me at dylan mcdowell connor at connor mcdowell and connor we will see you next time drama